Hey, just a heads up. The episode you're about to listen to is The Queen of Black Magic, directed by Kimo Stambul and written by Joko Anwar. This movie contains descriptions of bugs, cutting, self-harm, extreme violence to women and children, mind and body control, repeated and intense references to the sexual assault of minors, misogyny, intense gore, body horror, and body dysmorphia. And our hosts break this movie is terrifying. If you'd like to learn more about the movie discussed this evening, please visit our website, progressivelyhorrified.transistor.fm, for show notes, relevant links, and transcripts of each episode. After the spooky music, we'll talk about the episode in full. So be forewarned, there will be spoilers. Now, let's get on with the show. Good evening, and welcome to Progressively Horrified, the show where we hold horror to standards it absolutely never agreed to. <laughs> Good evening, and welcome to Progressively Horrified, the podcast where you hold horror to progressive standards it never agreed to. Tonight, we're talking about the 2020 Indonesian horror film, The Queen of Black Magic. I am your host, Jeremy Whitley, and with me tonight, I have a panel of cinephiles and cinebites. First, they're here to invade your house and find queer content in all of your favorite movies. My co-host and comic book writer, Ben Collin. Ben, how are you tonight? Fuck, you don't need a trigger warning for this movie. You need a whole damn gun show warning. Absolutely. And we picked uh, up the crossroads of anime and sexy monster media. It's co-host and comic artist Emily Martin. How are you tonight, Emily? Hide your kids. You can hide your wife. Actually, yeah, hide them. In fact, don't bring them to the orphanage. Wives yeah. farewell in this movie. Man, I know a horror movie podcast, so no locations are good locations. But, like, especially orphanages. Rural Where orphanages at that. Uh, yeah. Nothing good yeah. happens in an orphanage in a horror movie. I want to say, first and foremost, by the time you get here, you will have heard the trigger warnings at the top, but I do want to reemphasize those. This movie is a hard watch, and if those warnings make you leery about watching or even listening to descriptions of this movie, I would suggest you skip this one. It's rough. Like, it's good. If you want to be frightened and freak the fuck out, this movie is a goddamn 10 out of 10. I know, Ben, you had to, like, take multiple stabs to get through it because you uh, hit us up last night and were like, yeah, I'm like 40 minutes in and I've got to come back to this one later. Yeah, this was like, oh, let's just take let's just take a little break. Yeah, the two or three most traumatic things that happened in this movie all kind of happened back to back. This is directed by Kima Sambo, who uh, is the director also of Killers and Dara and Macabre, who are all which are all like big Indonesian horror movies that have come out in the last you know five years. It's written by Joko Anwar, who also wrote Impedagore and Satan's Slaves and The Forbidden Door. Both Impedagore and Satan's Slaves are also on, like, Shudder right now. They have a whole list of, like, this sort of new renaissance of Indonesian horror that have come out of, of this group of people. And I'll give it for Kimo Stembo. This movie is superbly directed. Oh, yeah. This it is gorgeous. A, this is a very well-made horror movie. If you feel like I'm advising you not to see it, it is because it is too scary. And I don't say that often on this show. Yeah, I think it's it's interesting compared to a couple of the other movies we've talked about this month. I mean, in both Shudder and Suko, both of which we enjoyed, but are much milder movies. They really kind of feel their age, even though their age is like 10 years. You know, this movie, you know, it's directed in 2020. 
And it looks like a prestige film. It doesn't look like it was made on low horror budget. No, very good production values. This is 100% a professional movie that like you would expect to see on the screen from a major Hollywood studio. Yeah. Yeah. I, I think it, it's interesting because this and Satan's Slaves are both remakes, but they're both sort of only remakes in name only. You know, the, those are names that are evocative of the history of horror stuff in Indonesia. And they take kind of a similar theme, but it, they're both very different than the originals, which are all also on Shutter right now. If, if you know, you happen to be listening to this and want to check this out. I know this movie came out in 2019, but I feel like it had to have been made in the last two weeks since we recorded our talk about Sukhob, where they heard me talk about like, this movie had no violence. My bloodlust was unsatisfied. And they're like, okay, motherfucker. You want some gore? Oh, all right, you fucking piece of shit. Let's see how you like it now. We went through this whole transit, like this cycle, this evolving funnel of no gore to, oh God, so much gore. Yeah, this, like it's legitimately hard to watch. I want to get into some of it here. I do want to say that it stars Ario Bayou, Hana Al Rashid, and Adestri Zara. The IMB did. IMDb description of this movie was poorly written and absolute nonsense. So I took a whack at actually doing <laughs> what there's usually feel like, which is three men return with their families to an orphanage where they were raised uh, when the man who raised them falls ill. But it soon becomes clear that something or someone brought them back here because they're connected to a horrible tragedy that occurred here. And now horrible stuff is happening again. Except it's not fully clear if they're connected. Like they start to be like, oh shit, who invited us? Someone brought us here for this curse purpose. You invited us. All right, you're actually innocent. And this is just, I guess, a coincidence that we are also here. I'm not clear on that part. I think it's unclear whether whether the proprietor of the orphanage's sickness is in some way connected to the revenge <laughs> that somebody is be, is preparing to take. Yeah. I'm sorry. This IMDb summary, I really... Can we just read it? Yes. I need to hear it. I need to hear the I need to hear okay. what's actually on my MDV. Uh we begin. Families were terrorized at the orphanage. Someone wants them dead, apparently with black magic that is very deadly. She has a grudge, and she was also born because of the sins of the orphans who formed her into the queen of black magic. That is Baby, I'm sorry. I know we're from professional writers, but this fucking kicks ass. This, that's okay. way better. Right? Remember, be for the win on this one. Hell yes. That's a different movie. I mean, I'm not going to call any of those sentences, but I love all of the fragments. Can we write the movie where this would be an accurate summary? This is the sequel to this movie. Someone wants them dead, comma, apparently with black magic that is very deadly. That's fucking set. <laughs> apparently, apparently with black magic. They're not sure what's happening. Imagine. She also born because of sins of the orphans who formed her into the queen of black magic. Doesn't, doesn't make any sense. Yeah, they did a sin and then she was born. And then after she was born, obviously they formed her into the queen of black magic. So none of that describes the movie. But it is, on its own, very hardcore and very awesome. 
Yeah. Also, like, <laughs> yeah. someone wants them dead. And then now we know who it is. It's she. Who is she? We don't know. But there like, was a moment. And I had this on like, oh, what if the whole black, everything you do with black magic is a misdirect? And this mm-hmm. is like a totally mundane, like, killer murder mystery thing. Like, and I don't know, I got really excited for that. But then the black magic did kick in. I'm like, oh shit, this is super terrifying and fucked up. And oh no, oh no, oh no. Yeah, this did be several times and, and it made me say, oh no, don't do that. Oh no, stop. Shit was rad though. Like, which when the actual queen of black magic showed up, I was like, oh yeah, yeah kick ass. This, this movie is so intense and in a lot of ways, super hard to watch. But man, is, is every single set piece for gore and horror and violence just so, so imaginative and creative and violent and memorable? Yeah, I mean, it's fucked up. And like, you know, if you have any sort of mental condition, um, this movie is not sensitive about that. The only trigger warning that isn't there, so just assume all of them, except for on-screen sexual assault. Off-screen sexual assault. Implied, yeah. Entirely, entirely. Not on screen, so. Considering the victims, I'm especially thankful it was not on screen. All right, so uh, let's talk about this. I was extremely happy with this first scene because it's sort of this, we get this family road trip. We get Hanif and Nadia, who are the main couple in this, and their kids. Uh, Sandy, the older brother, who is there. Uh, he does nothing. He can just sister. Sister Dina, who is mischievous and horny, and the younger son, Hockey, who is, like, he's the best. The MVP of the movie? Yeah. The best character in the film? Yeah. Um, He's he's good. He's what every other director who's ever written uh, a child into a movie wants, but rarely actually gets. Yeah. He is not realistic, a child. They don't care. They're not trying to be. He's awesome. He's I great. think he's relatively realistic. I mean, he's just really pure. The car hits something while they're having their, uh, you know, cute conversation. Because I what horror movie that starts with the, somebody in a car doesn't immediately hit something on the road. And the dad gets out to check what it is, along with Sandy, who is there. So they do discover that there is a dead deer, uh, which Hannah assumes is what they hit. Uh, and they get back in the car and continue on to the orphanage. Only then do we discover as an audience that there is a young girl lying either dead or terribly injured in the gutter on the side of the road, which is a, a cruel reveal. And yeah. I get centipedes because just uh, that was the point of the movie. I'm like, the centipedes on a corpse. I don't like centipedes. I'm like, now I look back on me being grossed out at that part of the movie and being like, you sweet summer child. <laughs> <laughs> you dumb, dumb, dumb motherfucker. Child of a bitch, dumb dumb. <laughs> I think centipedes are kind of cute. I used to own. I like them when they're four feet tall and on fire and have a mustache and they're sent to scorch in Pokemon. I mean, Pokemon centipedes are generally like cuter, but you know, centipedes are not as cute as millipedes, and they really go hard with the centipedes. I really, audience, Ding. I really Sporting. wish you could see Jeremy's face. When Emily said that centipedes aren't as cute as millipedes. They're not. I mean, I think that's objectively true, but you are comparing a dumpster and a tire fire. So like. (laughs) I used to own giant African millipedes and they were very cute. 
Like, <laughs> I would have been like, nope, can't sleep here, I guess. <laughs> oh, well, I'd rather sleep outside. All right, so they arrive on the or- at the orphanage, and we meet the rest of the cast. Uh, we meet Anton, whose thing is sort of that he was frequently left behind by the other two, you know, when they were kids. And so he's a bit sensitive about stuff. And then his wife, Eva, who uh, shows up in his, you know, face mask because she's afraid of germs. I mean, what kind of a idiot does that? Uh, it reads a little differently a few years later. <laughs> yeah, I have in my notes, like, look at you fucking Ava. Won't be seeing Ava getting COVID. Uh-uh. She's got her booster. She's got her hand sanitizer with her and everything. I feel like she's meant to look a little crazy in this movie, but from a perspective in 2022, she's doing a job. So she's doing great. We get we do get them, like, pulling up with a, pa- a close-in on their expensive Mercedes. And that is one real criticism i have of this movie in that it bites off more than it can chew and it throws some class themes and discussions of class at us but then i guess doesn't have the space it's not like tied into the horror going on so it really doesn't get explored or have like a cohesive point it's just kind of thrown out there without really co- congealing into anything solid theme-wise. It's I mean, a little bit of a X-Men versus Morlocks kind of thing because you get the, you know, you get the two, our two orphans we'll meet that were sort of never adopted and, you know, have stayed there all this time and are a little bit resentful of the rest of the group here. They are still poor. They still don't have anything and they're a little bit, you know, resentful of these folks who have gone out and have, you know, lives and Fancy cars and everything now. Hockey's bewilderment at a VHS tape. I fucking love that scene. It's really cute. It's okay. the strongest scene for class because you get to see. He's just like, why not? Why don't you just stream it? You know, like, on Wi-Fi. What's Wi-Fi? Okay. Yeah. Well, I feel like at least that got a little time to flesh out. Like, I feel like there was this Loki thing, like Maman and how whether or not he felt resentful to still being a caretaker at the orphanage and his and he didn't seem as close with the other three but it really didn't feel like they had much of a chance to really properly explore like mama's relationship with them or what he had going on like it feels like they you know maybe that was more in a different draft or in a longer version of the movie but it feel a lot of the remixing of what you know the three main characters relationships are to this orphanage in the first place you know, throughout the movie, we find out a lot more about what it was actually like and, you know, what they went through, uh, none of which Maman was a big part of. He was just sort of another guy that was there. Yeah, I mean, they do suggest that there was a significant population of, of orphans there yeah. when our three main guys were there and Maman was there with them. That story changes a lot through this movie. We also have Jeffrey. Uh, who is our muscular kind of overcompensating third boy from the orphanage and his wife, Lena, whew, she's a rough one. Um, she is frequently terrified that she is fat throughout this, despite being quite thin. And it is clear that she has sort of an eating disorder. I mean, yeah, we're talking body dysphoria. I mean, which they show very, very, like how her reflection is literally different than her in that context. Like it was very, I mean, 
again, the body dysphoria and the self-harm and all that, like trigger warning, trigger warning, trigger warning on that. God, we get the scene where she just kind of throws out of like apropos of nothing. Like I'm on hormone treatment. And I remember having my notes. I'm like, okay, movie. Yeah. You sure you want to tackle this too? Yeah. And there's, there's also like, you know, she gets offered some food at one point in the movie and she's like, oh no, thank you. No fruit for me. It's like, oh, okay. It's pretty severe. And because she's trying to skip dinners. Yeah. And pretty give up dinners. There's Maman and Siti, who are the two orphans who sort of remain there. They've been, you know, they've taken over working at the orphanage from being orphans. Uh, Maman is a bit off putting personality wise. He keeps referring to them as sir, and they're not sure why he's talking to them like they didn't know each other as kids. And then Siti has. Uh, severe burn scars on her face that we'll, you know, we'll find out more about later. But yeah, they're both sort of deferential and keep sort of disappearing into the orphanage at various points and are, are definitely a point implied to be connected to some of the, the bad stuff that's going on. But it's going to turn out to be a little different than what the movie's setting us up for. Yeah. Not to ever accuse this movie of holding back or pulling its punches, but I do have to admit, it took me a while like, to realize that those are supposed to be burns because I honestly thought she just had pink eye. Yeah, or some sort of like growth or something like that that was on her eyelid. Yeah, because it's really just been as like one eye mostly shut that's red. Like, yeah. Like, when they shoot her straight on, mostly what you see is the eye. And occasionally they shoot her from the side that's burned and it's clear that there's a lot more like makeup on there too. That's the problem with watching these movies on the phone. I don't always... Pick up on the details. I mean, I watched it on my TV and I didn't quite notice that there was more than just the swollen eye because there's so much going on that I was there's, trying there's, to keep track of it. There's a scene later where the two of them are sort of talking in the kitchen and you're getting sort of a side view of her face and it, it becomes a little more clear, like, just how big it is because it's pointed out by Haki who wants to ask what the deal is from the start and will later ask again. Haki is precious. Yeah. yeah. And we also have Hasby and Ronnie, who mm-hmm. are current orphans living at the orphanage. There's some of, I guess, the older kids that are living there. They have been left behind. The rest of the uh, orphans are on a great field trip to go do something. I don't remember if they say exactly what it is, but it will not they be don't. relevant. And Hasby, sort of, his personality is sort of too cool for school. Like, immediately, you know, immediately Dina has a crush on him and he's sort of playing it cool throughout the whole thing and, you know, just sort of showing them around. Uh, yeah. But then Ronnie is uh, a demon. She is determined to scare the shit out of hockey at any any turn possible, is telling him all sorts of horrible stories about the orphanage and stuff that's happened there. And uh, Ronnie's goal is to deliver as much exposition as she can while also fucking with hockey as much as she can. However, she can educate us, the audience, while also scaring the shit out of this small child. Like, that's what she's here to do. I mean, it kind of rules. Like, oh, yeah, she's great. Yeah, like she... Oh, yeah, no, big, we're big fans of Ronnie in this household. Yeah, like she's, in a way, it's kind of cute how she's, like, telling the ghost story. And, I mean, it would be a lot more cute if it wasn't true. Also, like, he's trying to, like, listen through. We'll find out there's a door that, you know, there's stuff that they can't open there's stuff behind there 
and like she's telling the story while he's got his ear pressed up against it and just like slams her fist against the door and freaks She's a out. great storyteller. She's got stage presence. Everybody goes to see Mr. Bondi, who is, you know, the man who runs the orphanage. Uh, they all credit him with sort of raising them and, and getting them to where they are now. He isn't even able to talk at this point. He's in bad shape lying in his bed. It is unclear how conscious he is for most of what's going on here. And while they're doing this, Ronnie is is showing the kids this door, this sort of blue door they can't open to a room where somebody died. Her name was Miss Mara, and um, she was locked in this room after claiming another child, Myrnie, uh, was taken by the devil while they were out walking. And she died killing herself by banging her head against this door until her skull split while she was locked in there. That's yeah. not how... that doesn't kill you that just activates your hidden malignant if you have one not everybody has one ben definitely killed that guy in bioshock that's all i remember <laughs> right it, it was interesting because ronnie had a polaroid camera that she was taking photos of everybody with and that was really cool to me because it kind of felt like it was an homage to a lot of the photography based horror that we had in a lot of these movies, I mean, I don't know if it was intentional, but also it shows the difference am, between the the kids, you know, who are taking, like, Haki's taking photos with his phone, and Ronnie's taking all these Polaroids of everybody together that are very candid. They're not like, okay, everybody say cheese, you know, it's... Photo-based horror hits way differently and way less effectively with a smartphone. Shutter with a smartphone. <laughs> doesn't work especially if it's just like whoa check out the new ghost on your shoulders filter i downloaded yeah it's a ghost on your shoulders and all your photos yes yes we we yeah hanif takes jeffrey with him to go get some stuff out of the car and while they're there hanif takes a look at his bumper where it got dented in when he wrecked and notices that there's not deer skin or hair there that there's like human hair and he's like Oh shit, Jeffrey, I think I'm about to hit something that wasn't a deer. We gotta go out in the dark and check this out. And Jeffrey, for his part, is like, do we though? Okay, I guess. They go out to go uh, find the scene of this earlier accident. Is this the first time we've had a horror movie protagonist hit something with their car and actually act responsible to their best of their knowledge and abilities? Well, he's incredibly responsible for a horror movie protagonist. I mean, he does see the deer. And what is interesting to me is that to me, I was like, oh, yeah, that deer has been dead. Like, that wasn't the thing that they hit. That deer's been dead for a while. I mean, like, I guess he he did the best he could with what he got. I'd feel differently if he'd been like, oh, I hit something. Well, I looked around for two minutes and I didn't see anything. So I guess it was nothing like in my head. I'm kind of like, okay. You found something that logically makes sense as the thing you would hit. You're driving a car. You're in the forest. There's lots of deers get hit by cars. It happens. You hit something and then you find a dead deer right by your car. I'm like, yeah, I would probably consider that mystery solved. And then as soon as he's like, oh, shit, this may be not. He's like, we have to go out right now. There's no like, we have to cover this up. There's no, we have to protect ourselves. Like their goal is to get people to the hospital or contact the police like at all times true yeah my, my only problem with Hanif is he's an incredibly like responsible horror protagonist except uh he has clearly never seen a horror movie before because he is perfectly comfortable like 
later on running off with his wife and leaving their children at this clearly haunted orphanage. They'll be fine. Like uh, the, the other people here, I'm like, this place is not fine. Yeah. Don't leave your kids here. Yeah. So they're right before the discovery of the deer, the not deer fur on the, on the car, the three dudes have a discussion about what's going to happen to this place. Oh, they're going to sell it. Oh, they'll never sell it. And then someone says, oh, you never know what they'll uncover. So this is our first hint that there's more to, I mean, that for sure there's more to it than just like, you know, Ronnie making shit up. They also say something about there's always a kid that runs away each year, which is interesting. Oh, that should, that's just foreshadowing for like horror later on. Yeah. But um, when they said, you never know what they might uncover. At that point, I wasn't even thinking about Miss Mira. Yeah. Because in my head, I was thinking like, oh, well, I guess she died of a way people understood. So she was probably just married. I thought like, oh, they must have killed Morney. That, as well as a few other things where I was like, oh, maybe this supernaturalness is a red herring. And this is just like a really dark, fucked up, like they've killed people after them, like just really hardcore revenge killings. Yeah, There's no possibility at various points in this movie that they're just kids from a Stephen King movie that, like, you know, happened to stumble upon some bad shit and, you know, none of it is supernatural and, like, in a, you know, stand-by-me kind of way. <laughs> yes. This movie really plays with uncertainty. Like, this movie, for a lot of its runtime, doesn't want you fully knowing what these guys have done what they knew when they knew it and how responsible and like and how responsible and deserving they actually are of what's happening you know i think the major twists in this movie start in this next scene where they go to find the dead body like they go to find the girl and find out what he hit he finds the dead body and is like freaking out about the girl being dead meanwhile jeffrey has wandered off and is like um there's a bus over here and they go to investigate the bus from the orphanage, which is crashed into the woods there. And uh, they step on there. And suddenly the one dead kid doesn't seem like such a big deal. There's nope. an entire bus full of dead kids with horrible, like, head None of them have eyes. Bus. Yeah. Is, they, none of them have eyes. No eyes. Just like. Some of them have eyes. Their eye, yeah, some of them have one eye. Yeah. That's There's right. A lot of hollow eye sockets. This yeah. movie is atmospheric. And disturbing and unnerving, and then just gives you in your face fucked up gore. Like most movies only do one or the other. This one does both. Yeah, I'm getting saw vibes like from the uh, gore in this movie, but it's a lot more theatrical. Like, yeah, it's like normally you only get like poltergeist esque, like spooky vibes, or you get saw esque gore. You don't usually get like this level of creepy unnerving direction and like almost psychological horror with like torture gore with kids because like there's some i mean there are some darker scenes like the more upsetting scenes in, in the movie poltergeist i feel have some equivalents here but you know nothing bad really have like the kids are maybe sucked into a vortex or like attacked by a clown or maybe they're you know but like it's all you know, no kids in Poltergeist get shot. Yeah. No, no other movies make an 11 year old go through some fucking reservoir dog shit. 
They, to their credit, load up the dead girl in the back of their car to take her back to the orphanage. They do not load up the entire bus full of dead kids. They just leave that there. That's just a storage issue. You can't blame them for that. Yeah. They want to call the cops. None of their cell phones are working. So they're like, all right, we're going to go back to the orphanage and call the cops so we can tell them everything that happened. Meanwhile, we're finding out at the same time that the phones don't work at the orphanage because they they try to call them. Back at the orphanage, uh, Dina is flirting with Hasby and Ronnie is showing hockey a video of Miss Mira, who has this very distinctive gait, as they say that her left leg was broken by her father as a baby, and now she sort of drags it behind her, sort of walks on her ankle. A detail that I didn't feel was terribly necessary, especially since it, it really projects somebody who is going to be seen as a villain throughout this movie as disabled in, yeah. in a disability, is creepy kind of way. Yeah, they do show her leg and how it is sort of perpetually like at an angle. Well, painful. Yeah. I yeah. do love how after Hockey and Ronnie have had this talk about what it's like having parents and the pros and what's not nice about it. And then hearing the story of how she got her got this club foot from her father breaking her leg as a baby and Hockey just dropping the mic with a scorcher of the line. And you still want parents? Yeah. I mean, it, that was a really good, that was some good interaction. Like the, the interactions of the kids in this movie are some of the best, like. Sandy, who does not matter. Well, Definitely. Sandy's just there, but like, you know. It did not give them a third orphan kid to, for him to play off of. The other two, yeah. kids, their person and Sandy is just yeah. there. Yeah. Look, Hotcone is the best. Yeah. D- Dina is witty and thirsty and sandy is he's part of it now i will believe that hockey has a billion followers on instagram i'm hoping that he, yeah like i'm hoping i'm hoping he has some legal protection since he is a minor but yeah like the concept of hockey i am all about yeah we get out of hemeth and uh and jeffrey coming back with the the body they call it on up to show him Show him this dead girl they've got, and they're like, "Hey, man, we gotta use the phone." And then he's like, "Ah, oh, the phone's not working." He's like, "There's some real bad shit out there. There's a little, like the whole orphanage full of kids is dead in a bus." And Anton's like, "Ah, and I'll let me go check it out, and I'll you know go on to you know call somebody about it. I'll, I'll check it out, and then you know I'll deal with it. You guys just stay here with your your unstable family." I, I do like how he was like, "I'm not taking." The dead girl car, though. I'm not pulling up to the police station with a corpse in my trunk. Yeah. Okay, I, yeah. I will go, and if there's some sh- and if there's some shit, I will then tell the police there's shit and where to find it. But I'm not going to a police station with a dead body in my trunk because Anton, in this moment at least, is a smart. Except he's like, I'm in a horror movie. I'll be right back. Yeah, I'm gonna yeah, go in the woods by scary. myself. He doesn't know he's in a horror movie. He's Anton. Oh, God, he's got a real bad, he's got a real unfortunate death because he didn't do anything wrong as far as we know at this point. Does Ava die? Because if she doesn't, then Anton, I think, is like the only actual death in the movie. It is unclear if Ava or Lena make it because they are. Well, no, Lena, Lena makes it because they mentioned that her and Jeffrey are coming over for dinner that night in the epilogue scene. So we know Lena somehow survived if, if lena made it then fucking ava made it like 
I know, but Ava like literally turned into a hive, so I'm not sure. Oh, fuck it. She doesn't matter. A lot of things happened to a lot of people in that weird, like, once it became like saw house. So Anton goes out to this bus to try and see what's going on there. Sees the bus, is like, all right, let me go check this out. Gets in and immediately steps on a giant egg. And the egg hatches and is full of millipedes and other insects and shit and they go full the mummy on him and just like crawl into him go under his eyes and his skin and eat him from the inside and it's real bad it goes real bad real quick those centipedes and the eyeball popping out like it's so graphic and gruesome on its own but it's this weird combination of nothing is scariest and it giving you the answer and it's still being fucking terrifying because by doing it to just him, you go like, oh, God, that's why all of them are missing eyeballs. The centipedes ripped, like, popped out all of their these children's eyeballs. That's some serious. I, I figured it would have been the, the bugs, like, eating their eyeballs because, you know, bugs everywhere. Okay, yeah, I get it. I feel like whether they're popping them out or eating them is a or splitting hairs. Popping them out or, I mean... It just takes a lot of pressure from a centipede to pop out an eyeball. Unless there's like... It's a black a, magic centipede. Yeah, these are magical. Fair. Yeah, they, yeah they, Fair. it's got magic centipede. They I'll got give you magic that. strength. They were in an egg, which, you know, was probably hatched by a toad or something. Yeah, okay. I'll give you that. Meanwhile, things are going very bad for two out of three wives back at the, at the homestead. Because... Well, real quick. Yeah. I just want to mention... That when he gets into the bus, all the kids are standing with their backs to him. Yes. Especially when you remember they were all facing front in the earlier scene. In the earlier scene, they were all sitting as if, you know, just lying dead in mortis. And then when he gets on the bus, they're standing. He cracks the egg and then he's trapped. And then, you know, he gets all mummied out. Like with bugs, not actually like mummified immediately. But um, well, I mean, who knows? Like they're standing and facing the back. Then he steps on the bugs. They start swarming him, and then they're facing him again. Yeah, like they right. face front. It's so scary. It's this scary. bus death scene is so fucking scary. Like this is like fuck. This movie is so legit horrifying in a way few horror movies actually are. Yeah, this is where we're really hitting just like the fucking gauntlet of this movie <laughs> because this death happens and we go back to the house and there's various shit happening with various characters. But the real important thing is like we've got Lena who is looking at herself in the mirror and she is seeing herself differently than she actually appears on the screen and goes over and grabs the paring knife from the fruit and eats some of the fruit and then starts paring away at her skin and like cutting she cuts a chunk out of her stomach and it doesn't seem to have any effect other than that she can just cut this fat off and then she does the same thing to her neck like to these you know rolls on her neck just describing it just like ah this this scene is probably the most disturbing yeah and i feel like we all kind of know what's going on and then, like, Jeffrey walks in and is like, what are you doing? And, like, she turns toward him and we can really see, like, what she looks like for the first time and just has, like, a big chunk cut out of her throat. 
and like is bleeding from this part of her stomach that she's cut all this stuff out of and is freaking that, out. I feel like that scene was in a way a baptism of sorts because <laughs> before that scene and during that scene, I was a naive waif of a different life who thought, oh, maybe there'd be discretion shots in this movie. And then this scene happened, and I was born again in the hard <laughs> that there would be no discretion. I, I want to take a second to say, like, this is, it's really fucking horrifying, but the special effect, the way they do it is so good, because they're like, it looks like she is carving chunks out of her flesh, and she's just taking them off and throwing them to the side. And, like, you know, clearly she's got, like, fake stuff that they've, they've built in there prosthetic-wise so that she can cut it off. But, like, you don't see it. You don't see it as prosthetic. It doesn't look like she's just, you know, cutting plastic off of her. It looks like she is carving chunks out of her skin in a way that is very unsettling. Yeah, because she doesn't bleed at first. Like, when she's looking at herself in the mirror and sort of seeing, you know, hallucinating, I guess, she does, I mean, she looks like she is kind of in pain. Like, as she, you know, it's very meticulous and difficult to do this but she doesn't bleed we don't see her bleeding until we get her husband witnessing what was going on and now you you could see that her she's just all bloody from this this self-surgery um which special effects in this movie are top-notch and seamless they fully immersed me in the movie except for one fucking candle at the end and again i i just have to commend the filmmakers they did such a good job like props special effects cinematography directing like this is a really well-made movie Mm -hmm. this is happening sort of simultaneous to the scene in the bus and the scene that moves directly from the bus Eitan's wife Ava is on the bed chilling taking a nap or whatever and like looks up and two centipedes fall from the ceiling directly into her open mouth and she starts choking on them and is sort of like running out, trying to plead with somebody to help her. And nobody understands what's going on or what's happening. They're in the middle of having this emergency with Lena already. And like, she's sort of pleading with Nadia to help her. Nadia doesn't know what's going on. And finally, she just like vomits blood and fogs everywhere. Like yeah. big, huge puddle of, of really viscous blood and uh centipede is that vomits in the middle of the floor it is the first vomiting blood of the movie it will not be our last (laughs) vomiting blood is kind of like refreshing compared to the other shit that people go through in this movie that's the nicest thing that happens to her in the scene because then we can still see that like the centipedes are moving under her skin and she starts like carving in her skin with her nails and rips a big chunk out of her arm and centipedes come out of it and I was like, hey. oh, no. They established earlier that she had some phobia of flesh-eating bacteria because she had a rash at some point, which is why she's kind of hypochondriac. But as somebody, okay, first of all, as somebody in this very humid place and also like, you know, kind of old building, as someone who has chronic itchiness, like having any idea that there was anything crawling on you when you're already like that upset about stuff and then it goes like right into her mouth oh god i mean 
put a few more little ding, ding, ding flags on that. Also, you know, like self-harm. The centipede's just on their own. I'm like, oh, creepy. And they're like, what if they're coming out of, into people and out of people? I'm like, I like that even less. Yeah. And it's like, cool, we'll do it a lot. The thing is that the bugs crawling in and out of you is an aesthetic that like I use a lot in artwork. So I'm like, oh, okay. All right. Let's see how they did it this time. Okay. But the next note I have on this is just worst fucking parents ever. Because Hamanth and Nadia are like, oh my God, these two women are bleeding horribly. Bad shit is happening. Let's throw them in the car so we can take them to the hospital. And Hamanth is like, ah, oh, there's not enough room for our kids. And Nadia's like, the kids will be fine. And it's like, what on earth would give you that idea? Mommin's here. He's got this. It's like, what makes you think he's qualified to handle supernatural murder horror nightmares? First of all, they're talking about this and they're the the guys are already starting to think like, does this have anything to do with the thing that happened? Is this the thing? Is this the thing with the thing? Oh, now our wives are like, you know, just going totally nuts and um you know Nadia. hurting themselves Nadia is solid Nadia. yeah Nadia is solid except she's like our kids are fine meanwhile the kids are playing billiards in a room that has a cabinet full of guns yeah now they are air rifles it would seem which like yeah. those are not non-lethal especially at short range but should not necessarily be as immediately dangerous as say you know gunpowder guns yeah, and also there were knives in that cabinet. There was a lot of like, we like weaponry in that cabinet. Those were definitely airsoft guns, and I don't know. Maybe hockey for as awesome as he is just has like a weak child, weak soft child body. There was a lot of blood where he when he got hit. Yeah, I don't think airsoft pellets are supposed to penetrate, like make you bleed that much. Yeah. So before that, they've been playing billiards in this room. Okay. So yes. The parents all take up. It's just the kids and the, you know, people who are already at the orphanage there at this point. Yeah. Uh, along with the whatever level and forces are there. They have no the idea there's even a horror movie going on. They think they're still just visiting, like, their dad's childhood home and playing pool with, like, the cute boy who hasn't revealed that he's a sore loser, dirtbag piece of shit yet. She's winning. She wins the pool game. And immediately... Like, he turns to uh, fucking not cool and calls her a slut for flirting with him. And she storms off. Hockey, in the meantime, has decided to go back and watch this VHS, which he turned off well, earlier because it was too scary. So let's not overlook the part where he plunges the room into darkness and then points a gun at her face. Yeah, he points. At first, he's like, pulling out the gun, acting super fucking, we need to talk about Kevin. And then, like, he points the gun at a mouse. A rat. A rat. It was, yeah, they've granted it as mouse. That was a rat. Another brief adventure into the wild, the wet and wild world of briefly discussing class issues. Yeah, where he's like, I'm not rich like you. I'm going to I'm gonna point this gun. It also has light on it. And she's like, dude, what the fuck? And, you know, all is out. Good for her. Yeah. So Hucky yeah. is watching the, the VHS tape. Now, I do want to mention that Hucky also found a picture of Miss Mira 
earlier in a photo album that was hidden under a chest of drawers. In and all the photos were turned backwards. Fake. So that you could see them. Right. I was like, as soon as that showed up, yeah. I was like, oh, yeah. Oh, no. Yeah. Well, yeah. Uh, especially after seeing the photos that we found later. And then I was like, that was one of those like Blair Witch moments where I was like, oh, fuck. That's what was happening with that. Like, that was a fucking dodge. Like, he, I don't want to say dodge that bullet, but. No, we know he's not good at that. <laughs> so, Wait, Blake, come on. Yeah, so he, he turns on this VHS and she's limping toward the screen to the point that, like, we can just see her chest. At which point he looks down because he can hear her walking still and he can see her legs under the television, like under this entertainment center and looks up and the actual woman, Ms. Mira, like leans over the top of this television and like spews blood and whatever else on it. Core. on the top of the And uh, hockey, good for him, gets the fuck out of there and runs in what is clearly a safe room where his good, where his sister and uh, his, you know, good friend Hosby were just playing pool. And uh, Hosby is still hanging out in the dark here. And Hosby has had a rough time. This VHS has been going on because he's lost control of his hands. And his uncontrolled hand has gotten a hold of the staple gun. And by the time this poor child, Hoggy, reaches him, he has stapled his entire mouth shut and he has the gun again and has completely lost control of his arms. They are being forced to do something against his will. And he then proceeds to to shoot hockey twice. Yeah. Yeah. That was rough. Okay. Cause, like at first I was like, is that a like cause we didn't know it's an airsoft gun until well, like, he, loads it, he loads it when they go in when he's gonna shoot the red initially, he loads it with the uh, you know, the airsoft cartridge. Oh, okay. I didn't catch that, but I'm not very familiar with airsoft guns. So, probably short distance, they are effectively the same thing as a just a normal gun. Because yeah, basically, it's just firing them with compressed air instead of you know instead of an explosion. Right. Yeah. This is just a scene where a precious small child is tortured, and it's really fucking hard to watch. Yeah. I mean, kids, gun violence. Now, did we mention that this is after? The older child has been forced to staple his mouth shut. Yeah, no, this is also yeah. like very much in the black magic, like possession situation. That was great. Like how hard he was fighting against it, like how desperate he was, like to avoid ha stapling his own mouth shut. And then when it just keeps happening again and again, and he keeps fighting back each time, like, fuck, this movie's scary and intense. I know I just keep saying that, but ah! yeah, it is, like I said, it's a difficult one to watch. That scene where, where Hasbeet is stapling his mouth shut is that was the one where I was like, I don't know where I can keep doing this. Like there's been too many of these scenes in a row. This is really rough. And the, you know, then it gets to the shooting the small child part of the movie. Uh, uh, and that again, like that's one of those things where like, this is how, you know, this movie was not made in america it's like that shit would have I mean, not flown the meanwhile we catch up with the parents who are fucking stuck in a loop this is maybe the most terrifying thing just like existentially to me is they keep driving and they keep passing the same mile marker and they can't get past where that bus has crashed like they can't get any further 
Uh, nobody bothers to check and figure out what happened to Anton. He's <laughs> dead near here somewhere. But at this point, they're just trying to... It, it's, a real, it's a real out of sight, out of mind type situation. I mean, they, they all like t- two out of three wives are like, you know, bleeding out of everywhere. I mean, they don't I mean, know that. I mean, for him. But... Not bleeding anymore. No. Yeah. yeah. He, and he is fully bled. It is the past tense. I'm with out of here because at this point, at this point, her husband and Jeffrey start looking at each other and they're like, oh no, not again. She's like, what the fuck do you mean? Not again. Like, when did you guys, when were you guys? in some sort of continuity loop coming back to the group <laughs> over and over again before and why have i not heard about it and they're like so there was this thing that happened where there was this woman uh, at our school ms mira who was doing black magic and sacrificing children and so like we had to like help mr bondy like lock her up in this room and then she uh headbutted herself to death against the door so we buried her body in her room and then covered it in cement and nadia has seen a horror movie because nobody else these assholes have it she's like wait the body of the witch that you guys murdered is still in this house where all this crazy shit is happening and our kids still are currently we're turning around yeah (laughs) that is great this is the scene that earns Nadia the ultimate status of main protagonist of the film. It turns out that the body being buried there doesn't actually matter. At least in this one, they there's a sequel bait. But just like that level of genre knowledge of, wait a minute, you just told me this whole ass story and now this is happening and you didn't think there might be a fucking kid. You didn't, you left the body there. Yeah, well, and they know this, like before like with the bus and shit so like you know from the get-go yeah like jeremy like you said they had never seen a horror movie because obviously yeah maybe they didn't have that much access to horror movies they only had vhs's yeah i mean i guess what's the average amount of horror movie vhs's that an orphanarium should have yeah so like how did they leave that's the thing Okay, so it is mentioned that Hanif was adopted because Haki mentions it's like grandparents. So he, right, oh, okay. he was eventually adopted. And either the other two were adopted or I guess just like aged out. Yeah, yeah or something. I mean, I, I mean, they can't keep you there forever. Again, what they establish is they tried to run away from the orphanage at one point because this woman was doing black magic and they couldn't leave, which is how they... Remember this, you know, they, they tried to run away and they kept ending up back at the orphanage, which is exactly what's happening to them now. And so they, they turn around, go back to the orphanage and things just get worse from there. Another important orphanage question. Do you think orphanages like show them movies like Annie or Angels in the Outfield? Just like give them hope? Or do they try to avoid like just showing them stuff like Stuart Little? Did this and Welcome to Raccoon City and... there's a couple angles there that i think are kind of interesting because one is like this is a story about orphanages that suck so now you know that this one ain't so bad and then also like remember how this is a thing that's terrible that's happening to you right now you know so there's like two different ways you could go with that i can't figure that if i'm running the orphanage i am showing on these kids on a weekly basis matilda 
a movie all about how terrible it is to have parents. Hey. How much better off she becomes for not having to have parents. Just to try to ease it a little bit. Yeah. Like, like, you see, having parents ain't all great. You see that? Yeah. Oh, you want parents, but you could have Danny DeVito for a dad. Wait, shit. No, that came out wrong. Okay, so they, they get to back to the orphanage, and they begin their quest to find their children. Been- they, they find pretty quickly Sandy, who is just hanging out. He doesn't know anything wrong. He, he does not know there's a horror movie going on still at this point. And Dina, who has peaced out after uh, being called a slut. But they can't find Hockey because he's bleeding to death somewhere. So, like, all of them are running around trying to find Hockey. I love that the kids here are believably useless. Dina, I think, runs into, like, a small entryway and looks at some bookshelves and is like, Hockey's not here. <laughs> she, like, picks up a cup and looks under it. She's like, not there. I don't know what to tell you. <laughs> yeah. And so they're all running around looking for Hockey. This is where our beloved Nadia runs up and is checking out Mr. Bondi's room. And decides to look under his bed just to be sure and finds a little treasure chest under his bed where he is tucked away his favorite possessions. Yeah. Why did there keep being pig squeal sounds in this scene? Was anyone else expecting her to look under the bed and there to be a pig there? Like they're just keeping pig sounds in this scene. I think that's breathing because he is like Uh, ratting breathing. There's also either. Various points where you're hearing the sound of Ms. Miero walking. Thought this yeah, was a scene where it's like, oh no, a black magic like pig boar has gotten into the old man room, and now Nadia's gonna have to deal with this magic pig. But no, it it, it was the breathing. I would have been into the magic pig. I I got excited for the magic Importantly, we haven't discussed the fact that in in the dad's version of events it turns out that murdy ran away when all this stuff was going on we don't know what exactly happened to her after that but she disappeared after miss mira died and has not been seen since as opposed to in the version the kids tell them at the beginning she was abducted by the devil so at this Uh, point nadia finds this chest and opens it up and there are a bunch of pictures of the female children from this orphanage in various states of undress. And I think there's of, an argument to be made for Bondi being the devil. I mean, I mean, yeah. in, in one of these pictures, you can see that Bondi is the one taking the picture. He's got his reflection in it. And, uh, you know, they're all, all these little children, including at one point, you know, they find CD's photo in here. I think his reflection is in all of them, which is, Pretty wild from an evidence standpoint, where it's just like, let me make sure that my incriminating evidence has everywhere knows, like that there's no culpable deniability. Those are the photos that he has under his bed. I mean, the other photo album was under the the chest of drawers. Yeah, that other photo album with all the pictures reversed. That shit suddenly became like one thousand times more terrifying because I'm like, oh, that's you know, those are the photos that pull out in hard candy. That they don't show. If the, if Hard Candy was this movie, it would have done the castration scene and showed it to you. Yeah, you would have seen the whole thing. You would have watched balls being cut off in that movie. If- oh, 100%. Yeah, she goes to show uh, these pictures to uh, Hanif. Meanwhile, outside, Lena has left the car and is out in the yard eating handfuls of giant furry poisonous caterpillars. Did not like this. 
by which I mean this is a very well executed, very effective horror scene that is disturbing the shit out of me. Yeah, it just is. wanted some grub. It's one of those things that watching it, you're like, the special effect for these caterpillars is not great, but it's surreal enough in this movie that, like, it doesn't take you out of it. Yeah. It's, like, oh, it feels like an infinite number of caterpillars are springing out of this pile and falling out of her hands and being eaten, and there's just still more. And I think there's just oh, something do that. inherently scary about eating something fuzzy because. That's a terrible deal. Like, I can't, nothing good ever comes from eating something that can be described as fuzzy food. You don't eat the fuzzy parts. Sometimes. If you're careful. Stop it! I mean, peaches are a little fuzzy, but... Peaches are a little fuzzy. Peaches are so little bit fuzzy that the name for just a tiny little bit of fuzz is called peach fuzz. Peaches uh, are the exception that proved the rule. I, I think we should describe these caterpillars as spiny. Because they're, I mean, yeah, they're fuzzy, yeah. but they're spiny, like, they're like little tiny porcupines. I don't think that they're, like, they have stingers or whatever, but, you know, that... Well, they probably do. He says they're poisonous. She's yeah. been full-on Winnie the Pooh on that shit, too, just... She is like, diving in. She is fucking eating them like she is at the poisonous caterpillar eating contest at Coney Island. That sounds like, I good, missed that that one. Sounds like a good one. Every 3rd of July. And while this is going on, the dead girl in the back of the car wakes up, wanders off as, as, while all this shit is going on, and wanders into the house, and everybody's, everybody is surprisingly glad to see her, because at this point, if it was me, I'd be like, ah, zombie. And they're all like, oh, <laughs> good. Um, Which is crazy, like, it, given everything, they're like, that has to be maybe the craziest red herring of the whole movie, is this girl awakens in the backseat, palm slaps against the glass, Red herring all the way, and then after everything, it turns out like, oh no, she's completely unaffected by black magic. She's just recovered from being hit by car. Yeah, because she's better. Apparently, black magic works on sonic wavelengths because she had her headphones on when the the witch walked in, and so like she just saw everybody else start banging their heads against the things, and uh, like so she tells the story of the bus. So the bus crashes. Theoretically, the bus is what hits the deer and it careens off into the woods and a large, dark figure of a woman walks in and looks at all of them and they all start basically reproducing the way in which Ms. Mira died, banging their heads against things until they die. And I guess the centipedes come after. Yeah, the centipedes are, they're also part of it. They're just, the black magic is here. Sup? Look, sometimes you're pre-game, sometimes you're post-game. Listen. Sometimes you're the star of the show, sometimes you're behind the scenes. Centipedes are like backup dancers for black magic. Yeah. And then, of course, we have the wildest thing, which is uh, Eva comes back. She can't let everybody else, like, have all the fun and come out of the car bleeding. She jumps on top of the car and starts telling them that they're all going to die and, and being controlled by this, yeah, you know, witch, this queen of black magic, wherever she be. And we discovered that, that what happened is Ms. Mira was doing black magic because she was trying to save the girls from Mr. Bondi. Uh, it wasn't working or was working only to some extent 
And finally, she had to do something about Myrnie because it turns out Myrnie was actually her child. Myrnie sees her being buried and Myrnie takes off. And we find out that it is, in fact, not not Miss Mira that is doing all of this. She's still quite dead. But that Myrnie is the, the queen of black magic that has arrived and is taking vengeance on all of them. And she is bad as fuck. <laughs> She's fucking awesome. But yeah. so this whole sequence, you know, if you're watching this movie, I hope you don't blink because shit is hitting you like immediately like you're basically the you know all of these plot points are shuffling past you like a deck of cards like okay so the the first thing is that like Nadia just immediately jumps to the conclusion that oh Miss Mira was trying to protect the girls if we find out she's correct I mean she knows relatively little about the situation but this is the 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 There's conclusion some- she jumped to which I'm like clued into some universal unfortunate universal truths that the husbands despite having grown up in the situation are very blind to yeah you know which is fucking valid so i would say the most unrealistic part is that on a full of kids only one of them had headphones on right well i mean they didn't have a lot of money they had she was it was just her turn to use the communal headphone we we also i had mentioned Get the plot point about CD. We've found out previously that CD is scarred the way she is because she fell when she was carrying hot water as a child. We find out she did that intentionally because she was trying to get away from uh, Mr. Bondi and, you know, decided that if she scarred herself, then he wouldn't continue to abuse her. She, you know, she, he would lose interest, which is fucked up. Yeah, Yeah. I mean, it's. That is something that goes right under our existentially disconcerting pile because, yeah, this kind of thing is known to happen. Yes, and they, the group, the protagonist group, also jumps to the conclusion that CD is the one who is behind this because she's the one, she was one of the girls in the photos, and then they... Um, she was the one it, who presumably reached out to them about, you know... Coming uh, to Bond. visit. Presumably we are dealing with some... The movie maybe commenting on ableism by their right by their incorrect rush to be like, oh, it must be the disabled person. Yeah, these these uh, slightly off-putting disabled people that now, are running the show here. But like, given that she was burned by like a pot of by a boiling pot of water right around her eye area. I was wondering if she would just, just start throwing around ice and fire like Shota Todoroki in My Hero Academia, but unfortunately, no, she does not have ice fire powers. That we know. That's the next, that's the red magic. That, that is the end of this of film. Red and blue magic. Red mage and blue mage, she can cross class sometimes. I mean, it depends on how far you've leveled up your character. Oh, man. But uh, Fantasy lore. The red mage is when you can do blue and white magic, and the blue mage just copies enemies' abilities. She learned how to use the the centipedes. Yeah, blue magic is well known in Final Fantasy uh, because it's almost always useless. And listen, too late in game to be worthwhile. Fuck you, no frog song. CD's innocent. She was being harassed. She was being abused. Yes. And Nadia asks her, "Why don't you tell anybody?" And then CD says. That it was actually Mr. Bondi that burnt the girls alive in the room in order to threaten her to let those who were remaining to shut up about the abuse. And then it is confirmed that Miss Mira was trying to use black magic to exact revenge upon Mr. Bondi. 
and protect the girls, which honestly, in, still in this day and age, or year 2022, I've considered black magic to protect young people from abuse. What I want to know is, given how crazy overpowered like black magic is in this movie, what kind of fucking like dark warlock shit it was Bondi packing back in the day? I mean, I think he was just, he just had privilege. Yeah. Oh shit, the ultimate sorcery. Yeah, yeah. Ultimate magic. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, no, you're right. That'd do it. Yeah, that checks out. <laughs> so, yeah. so Mernie, let's talk about Mernie floating in. Yeah. With her, her cloud of dark hair and her black goth ass dress and her no shoes and lands in the middle of shit and is like, I'm going to kill everybody. Yeah, and she like force chokes some. I think it was Hanif that she starts like fucking Jedi force or excuse me, Sith force choking. Murdy yeah. is the most like one of those creative the horror villains we've seen. Like the level of creativity that she puts into all the various ways that she truly wants to torture these people. It is a sight to behold. Like she is an artist. Yeah, and yeah. yeah waving off adults left and right. She's force choking Hanif and Nadia comes up. She has the sickle that Maman had it in the very beginning of the movie. She like picks it up from the yard and she's like, I'm gonna get you. And then <laughs> it's Ronnie betrays the girl who was fucking with hockey the whole time. Spoilers, she is a fucking betrayer she's an acolyte of the Murney the witch and you know honestly like that's that tracks uh, yes i wish we got one scene like just a little bit even if it's because to me it seems like clear that there's some kind of mother like like need for a mother figure with that ronnie needs and ronnie sees Murney as that mother figure and I feel like there's enough in the movie to infer that, but we don't really get to see it actually on display. Yeah, I really want to see the movie where Ronnie is learning black magic from Murney and is like, it's this sort of, I, it, they seem so Jedi to me because of the, I think it's just because of the force joking, but she's like. I think, oh, yeah, I think a little more Sith. Yeah. There must always be two, a master and an apprentice. Yeah, sorry. And the apprentice's secret apprentice. And um, that order of other people, we got to kill Jedi. We don't get to see all of that because Nadia takes a two by four to the back of the head. And then we go strictly limited third person to Nadia because she wakes up back in the orphanage and there is screaming and weird lights everywhere. She and wakes up in Nightmare Saw House. Yeah. And I just want to talk about the various torture rooms that our, our characters have been found in. She's dealing with a full-on, like, uh, haunted barn experience where, like, you're seeing into other rooms and you can't get to what's going on there, but there's scary shit going on in all of them. Yeah. Places where everybody's being tortured. And then like, I wish we could edit this movie so she just looks in one of the rooms and it's David as pumpkins. And <laughs> <laughs> we're part of it. Yeah, yeah she, she looks in, in one room and it's, you know, the other adults being tortured and she, you know, looks and it's her husband and Jeffrey being tortured in another room. And I think the, the real rough one is she, you know, looks in a room and, and finds her kids being tortured there and is trying to, like, punch her way through the glass to get to them and cannot reach them, cannot do anything to help them, which is the true, which is, I assume, 
why this is how she is being tortured is because like the most torturous thing that she could do to Nadia is make her watch all of this stuff happen and not be able to do anything about it. Yeah. So Sandy is puking blood, which is the most evil could contribute to this film. And and bugs. Yes. And I feel like blood and bugs just go together. Like in this know, like, movie, if you're following it's bugs. Blood and bugs are peanut butter and jelly, baby. And Dina is getting really heinous looking invisible whiplashes. Also, speaking of bugs, we finally have the thing that got me with the bugs coming out of Ava. Because her back was porous and a whole bunch of beetles came out of those holes. Yeah, she, she turns into a fucking hive. And, and yeah, the hives on her back look like a hive. Bugs are coming in and out of the, the pores of the hive and it is not okay. Yeah, uh, it's like audience. blackheads that are coming alive. Audience, if you played Bioshock, think the bee throwing powers, but across her whole back. Yeah, it's not like in Candyman, in the new Candyman, it was kind of cool. It is not cool here. It's here. It is like, oh, God. And you can see that it's kind of like that, like, it is kind of a foam texture thing. But the bugs being involved in her itching is, I'm just like. Visceral. So much about Ava is just, oh, I could feel it on me. Like, ah, it was. Yeah. Ooh. Um, Again, this movie is so well made. It's so good and making me feel so uncomfortable. So here's, this is the part I really want to talk about is the final room that Nadia can go in, which has Mr. Bondi and he's in a chair in front of this altar full of candles with a sickle stuck in him. Hanif is in the, in the corner. Haki is in the other corner. And badass Murney is kind of hovering there. And Ronnie is kind of in the corner being like, yes. And we have the, exposition of why Mernie's doing this and why she's you know killed all of these innocent children and stuff like that and you know she's evil whatever there is this line where Nadia's like she's trying to plead her case why she shouldn't be killing her and her children and Nadia says we didn't know yeah. <laughs> and then he says and that too is a sin and then I was like whoa yeah that bit and then her whole thing where she's like look I brought you here to create hell because I don't know if there's a hell after death. And so I'm going to make sure that you are punished by going through hell of my creation. And that shit is fucking metal. Like that, that I think justifies the whole like kind of precarious setup that we don't really know how this stuff happens in the movie, which is Mr. Bondi is dying. And so she has to make sure that all of these people that are involved in the, you know, the horrible things that happened to these children and then her mother's death and, and burial fucking get what's coming to them because she can't trust that Mr. Bondi is going to die and go to hell like he deserves to because she's not sure there is a hell. So she's decided that she has to go ahead fuck everybody up right now so that, you know, they get what's they get what's coming to them, even if there's not a hell that whole shit was just so fucking dope and so she's like okay nadia the reason that you're still like intact is because you gotta kill your husband with this sickle and when you do i'll let your children go and i was like well, okay yeah, yeah no murray is very much trading being badass and metal for being sympathetic and likable 
because from a moral standpoint where she's like, look, I know he this old man did the abuse, but you who didn't know who had never visited this orphanage and had never known about any of it and had never known that any of these people outside your husband even existed until today. That's just as bad. So you've got to suffer, too. Like, there's a question. There's crazy pants logic. Yes, but there's certain the logic that because they're family, they have to suffer like that's okay. Yeah, that's evil. But I think that, you know, you not knowing a bus full of orphans. Yeah. And the reason she said she murdered the bus full of orphans is because she thought that they'd be better off dead than abused and fucking traumatized, which like, no, being it's better to be alive and traumatized than dead. I think those kids should get a say in whether or not they are brutally murdered with magic. Yeah, but she was she had so like the the system had failed her so thoroughly that she's like, I got to take this into my own hands no matter what. And I've been traumatized so badly that I got to be the, you know, judge, jury and executioner of this. Like, again, she is true. Like, and this is only in conversation once again with shutter when shutter we had a villain whose retribution was against target that was entirely warranted that fit the level that severity of the crimes and in some cases even showed solidarity and support with the innocent murray don't give no fucks she's ready to kill like whoever comes in her way or doesn't come in her way difference to some extent is that you know the ghost in shutter is seeking retribution against the people who harmed her for her own death whereas murney is seeking much more for her mother's abuse and then death and the abuse of all these other girls and then the fact that she has then theoretically been creepy witch living in the woods for the last decade or two um, since all this stuff, you know, happened, she has been living out there in the wild with no family, no life to speak of. And she is taking out, she's taking it out on these people who did get to have that, who, you know, were by being part of the injustice done to others and to her mother, or at least turning a blind eye to it, got to have these wonderful families and lives. And she needs to take all of that from them as well. Yeah, that's where I was going with her, you know, that this definition of justice, of course, it's not reasonable, but like, you know, it's understandable in her, you know, complete and utter rage. And I'm the queen of good justice and logic. She's the queen of yeah, black magic. She's the queen of black magic, which. Yeah, um, her, I'm not saying she has to be likable. No, she just has to be hardcore and metal and badass and evil. And like, she doesn't have to be a sympathetic villainous figure. I would just argue that. There might not be a lot, like, okay, once you're murdering busful orphans by the busful. Yeah. When your really. unit of measurement for how many orphans you've murdered is by the bus. <laughs> that, I'm just saying, lots of people have gone through pretty horrific abuse, and they haven't killed bus a busful of orphans. Yes. Yeah, yes. Her fever pitch of badass here, actually, which is because she is... You know, getting ready to force Nadia. She's not going to force Nadia to take his head, to take her husband's head off. She's going to let her do it him, herself. And Jenani's credit, he is still on the right page here, which she's like, yeah, kill me to save our children. That's yeah. absolutely what you should do. Yeah. Our children, no. which I was like, 
same buddy yeah yeah that, i was like all right you get it too all right cool. yeah no, okay vengeance against uh old man creepy pants like monster oh hundo percent thousand percent i will give you i don't even give you like yeah let's extend that vengeance to like hanif and jeffrey and anton i think once it's like and now i'm just gonna prey on a woman's eating disorder and make her mutilate herself i'm like ah i'm not as into this plan anymore oh yeah that yeah yeah, I, I hung up on the orphans, and now I'm like, oh, yeah, yeah, that's the, the wives. Well, I mean, this sequence here is pretty badass because she gets distracted because our boy, Hathi, comes to the rescue, puts a giant screwdriver into her back, and this gives mom the chance to turn that sickle on her and full-on cut her head off and just Nadia cut her is- head off completely with that sickle. And, uh, oh, Nadia went full fucking Demon Slayer. Cut that head off. I just, ah, Nadia's fucking mom of the year. Everybody's fucking ready to celebrate. And Murdy's like, no, fuck that. Picks up her own head, puts it back on. Yeah, come on. She's a <laughs> witch. You need more than that. She's, you know, we're fighting, we're in Castle Dracula right here. She's moved on to the second stage of, of the boss battle, put the head back on, and we're trying again. At, at which point, Maybe the weakest thing in the movie happens, which is Nadia grabs a candle <laughs> and apparently, apparently magic, uh, black magic type is weak against fire attacks because she just like stabs her with the candle and fucking Mernie goes up like she's lit, like she's just covered in gasoline. This Well, if she's a witch, she's more flammable. This is the one area where the special effects follow short. Because the second that Nadia picks up the candle, the normal-looking actual flame is replaced by video game fire. Listen, she had the power of resolve. Yeah, the way the way that she is burning, the whole orphanage should then you know collapse in on her as they have to run to get out. That happens like nine out of ten times in this situation. Yeah, but guess what? Fireworks on witch. Which burns up. Yeah, everybody well, I, runs out, including Earth. Except for Bounty, who is old and sick and evil and awful. Yeah. And he does reach out like to Hanif and like non verbally beg to be saved. And Hanif is like, like, No, dude. Yeah. It's, I, no, it's not happening. It's not happening right now. Oh, yeah, like there is a portion of the movie where it's not clear how privy to which and what secrets and evil things Bondi had done that our trio of orphans made rich knew. But ultimately it does seem that the movie comes down to like, they did not know, like they believed the story they were told and they were completely unaware of Bondi's crimes is what it does seem like. It does seem like, from some of what they say that they think maybe they should have known, you know, they, they, like it's, it's clear from the beginning of this movie that they all kind of worship the guy. Like, you know, he is credited by each of them as the guy who raised them, who, you know, gave them an opportunity to, to make it. Yes. There right. is no shutter style reveal that they are not good guys <laughs> coming. Yeah. Like they are, they're just, they were children made accomplices in evil by the lies of the man who should have been protecting them. 
So after everyone runs out, now we switch to the later and yeah, everything's okay. It's sometime later. And we're, uh, Nadia is, is picking up hockey from, uh, from school and he's had a great day at school and of course he's had a great day he's hockey he's the fucking man i'm sure he's out there on his instagram being like check out all of these scars from when i was black magic at i stabbed a witch with a fucking two foot long screwdriver bitches just nothing but a hockey crushing it but like what are they saying to their therapists or what are they saying to their fucking doctors because like lena had her shit all tore up uh, fucking Dina had her whip leak, gas leak, whip scars, gas leak. I mean, some, I mean, that might be Eva's least problem because she does have to explain where her husband is because nobody ever, as far as we know, finds Anton or whatever's left of him. No. Presumably at some point after this all happened. Did they, they go back for the bus? Is that bus, bus full of Anton and Orphan just still lying. But at the very end, after like, you know, we find out that Nadia and Haki and everyone are good. Nadia I, and Amon are living with them now. Yeah. Yes. And at least in their car. We don't know what happens to Ronnie for like, she's just very upset when Mernie dies, but that's about it. And we don't, so we don't know what becomes of her after being complicit in horrific black magic torture murder. But the guys are going to sell the orphanage. They have that's a sign up that says it's like going to be a hotel. Yep. Yeah. But deep in the bowels of the hotel, the club foot. Maybe there is a ghost. Also, Nadia sees Marnie in her rearview mirror and then she's Ooh. And then we get the credits, which have scenes, stills from the original Queen of Black Magic. Which looks fucking amazing. Like. Yeah, we might have to cover that one day. Yeah. Like that one. There's like a. Someone with a skull head. There's like a ritual circle. There's a guy with like. Balloons on his face. We all have skull heads. I think the original Queen of Black Magic was about a woman who is slighted by a man. And that sounds also cool. And the yeah, so looks a lot like murder. From what I understand, her name is still, is Mernie. Yeah. Like, that's the connectors that's still Mernie. But yeah, it's much more a woman scorned taking revenge and, like, you know, being left for dead and then learning magic and then, you know, how far, you know, losing herself to magic and vengeance. Yeah. You know, a good time in Vegas is what I'm saying. I mean, the clips of that movie really do look like a good time in Vegas fire dancers and shit anyway and that's that's queen of black magic it's real scary what is that i would say in any way is queer there's no sort of lgbt representation in there no it's sure it's it's just dealing with so many themes yeah it makes some feints at class like it, it it starts to tackle class between you know the kids especially doesn't have time for that yeah i don't know what it says about class other than the experiences of poor and rich people are different and they don't always understand each other. Yeah. Cool. I don't know if this has to mo- as much to do with class as much the representation of Sidi uh, and, and Maman, but like there's a scene where they discuss like, you know, you don't have to be jealous of them in their lives. And Sidi's like, I'm not jealous. And she's like, there's this really cute interaction between them where they're flirting. 
oh, well, there's the whole scene where uh, a hockey like calls her pretty. And then she's pretty much like to my to mama and like, well, a child complimented me. Time for sex. She they were joshing each other. But the, that scene with hockey where he's like, I think you're handsome and I think you're pretty. And I was like, fucking hockey. Yeah. It starts with hockey sort of coming up and being like, people say I asked too many questions, but I really did want to know, like, what's up with your face? And she's like, oh, you know, I, I burned it as a kid. I, I spilled water on it. And he's like, I think you're pretty. Kisses her on the cheek and runs off. So, I mean, I did love this. Like, that felt very realistic, child, to me being like, hey, I know I'm not supposed to ask you about your face, but what's with your face? Yeah. Like, I'm still a kid. I, if you prick me, do I not ask questions all the time? Yeah. I feel like we're not, if there's anything race related, we are once again not qualified to speak on it. This movie takes stabs at class discussion without hitting anything, nothing queer. What I feel like this movie spends a lot of time with, and I'm not, it feels very complicated to discuss, is this movie's approach, approach towards feminist issues. Yeah. The movie's definitely aware of them and wants you to know how bad all of them are. And Murney is, like, again, her motivations are understandable. Her methods, again, are extreme and horrifying, but, like... Yes. The motivations, uh, like... I mean, institutionalized child abuse. I mean, fuck, how often have we heard about that, whether it be in churches or in these um, schools or all these terrible, like, these people are supposed to be protecting children and just in a position of such high institutional power where they're free to just be a predator for decades. Yeah, so I think... I struggle with that, like certain elements of the the child abuse, the, the pedophilia and all that involvement in the story, like whether it really needed to be there because it there, there's already a lot of dead kids with their eyeballs gone, you know, and I yeah, that, I feel like that maybe that particular twist would have worked better in that version my brain ran off with where it's not supernatural. And it's all just like who's killing who in revenge for what. And it's very much the worst monster is man. Yeah. Like if black magic is really involved, I want this to be a full like revenge fantasy. Like I, I want. So what you're saying is. Fire more want, deserved. So what you're saying is we need to feel like these bus full of orphans deserve to be killed. Or do you don't kill the bus full of orphans? I, that's not an option. Thing. That will never be an option. Then to not kill the bus full of orphans. Which is like, look, these orphans, so goddamn racist. These are the most racist fucking orphans you've ever seen. For like torturing animals and shit. Yeah. Yeah. That's, that's the one thing is this movie does not have, uh, I mean, there's a dead deer, but there's not animal torture, which. Just child torture. Doing this one. Yeah. No dogs die. I don't think any centipedes even die. The centipedes are doing great in this movie. Oh, yeah. No, no one does. People are powerless against these centipedes. They're swatting, they're reaching out like no one can do shit. Yeah. Yeah. They're impervious to everything. Even the veteran pillars. Like, beyond it being kind of rough to watch, I feel like the end moves a little quick, which also goes along with the one thing that would be my biggest problem with it is, is I want more Murdy. Like, she shows up. And is badass, but she doesn't have a lot of screen time. You know, we don't even get any yeah. peeks at her until, you know, she just floats her ass in there. 
And it's like, hi, I'm here to kill fucking everybody. I don't care who you are. What a fucking intro, though. Again, I can't. That when I say, oh, Murdy's methods are extreme, or she is not a quote unquote sympathetic protagonist, none of that diminishes from the fact that she is a terrifying badass who is metal as fuck, and I love every second of her on screen. I will say that her the reveal of Murdy and the actual like visual reveal of Murdy was well timed. Like those were you know nice and adjacent. Like we didn't have to wait very long. They were like, oh fuck, it's Murdy, and then she's like dragging her feet across like her toes across the floor like baron harkonnen you're very right about how rushed the end with the fire is which makes me think her cutting off her head with the sickle is already so much more dramatic and intense a scene that i almost wish they just stretched that out a little bit longer and have that actually be like the climax i mean picking up her head and putting it back on is badass and it feels like, all right, we just elevated this another level. And then like, it's like, oh, I'm just fire. That's all. It's a, it's a very cool trick, but it's almost not worth it, be, it being immediately after being like, aha, CGI fire. No, I mean, I, I feel like once you've cut off somebody's head and that hasn't killed them, there needs to be a payoff there that has been built up in the movie, right? Like I, that, you know, we found out something that you know we're only now realizing at this point is Look, has the potential to do this thing i think it's simple black magic works by the same rules as the hydra of greek mythology i mean w- fire kills witches fire kills most things yeah but like especially witches which is still yeah yeah so i always love that like oh a vampire's weakness is a stake through the heart i'm like whose weakness is it to stake through the heart Fire theoretically kills me, but if you hit me with a candle, I'm not going to burst into flames like I'm made out of gunpowder. Yeah, that's why Wizard of Oz has the best weaknesses, because it's like, shit, that is a real weakness. If I get wet, I will not die. Oh, Wicked Witch of the West. I guess don't go on any good dates. All the essential oils that she's using, because she's a witch, is what makes her more flammable. Is that what we need? Did we need, like, Chekhov's, like black magic like flammable skin ointment i think it's like implied because of her fly ass outfit like you know that she's got some fucking sweet scents and she's been living in the woods and they still couldn't smell her coming of course i don't think any of them has a sense of smell because they couldn't smell a bus full of dead kids but you know again black magic she's the queen of it yeah that's all they do not like they step on that bus and they do not register a smell. It is not until they turn on their lights that they're like, oh, it's not right in this bus. Who said eight million dead bodies in here full of bugs? Yeah. How are they not immediately like this is the worst smell I've ever smelled in my entire life? Like 10 feet away from the bus. Um, you know, they're very freshly dead children, apparently. I mean, it's been a couple hours, I guess, but I don't know. Maybe those giant centipedes do a great cleanup job. You know, to be fair, I do not know the decomposition rate of dead children. I don't know the decomposition rate of dead people of any age. Yeah, the only thing we haven't really touched on here that I think we did mention in the, you know, when we were talking about it is they don't do a particularly good job with their portrayal of physical disability in this movie. Or uh, mental condition. Like, yeah. I mean, there's an understanding out there, and it's just really used for the value of horror. Like, you know, eating disorder is not addressed in a way that is 
I don't know, sympathetic really or important. Sensitive. Sensitive other than that it exists and is the basis by which she is gilded. That death and all the stuff that happens to the other wife are very Nightmare on Elm Streety. It's like, this character is introduced and has one fatal flaw and oh, there goes the killer exploiting it. Yeah. Through nightmare logic. So guys, would we, I guess this is one of the tougher ones I feel like we've had with this question. Would we recommend people watch this movie? I recommend this for the one who thinks themselves like a horror movie aficionado. You know, this is a horror movie fans horror movie. If you want to, this is the ghost pepper hot sauce of horror movies. (laughs) It's really well said. It hits a real interesting spot for me because like, I love horror movies that are like supernatural and creepy and weird. I hate horror movies that are based so heavily in torture porn. Like I dislike tremendously the hostile series. Yeah. But. This movie hits a spot in between where, like, there is genuine horror, body horror stuff that makes me incredibly uncomfortable, is difficult to watch, and genuinely frightening, and is done with that sort of black magic supernatural edge that I'm, like, I'm still into plot-wise. So, like, I think overall it comes down with, like, a, yeah, if... This doesn't sound like a horribly traumatizing thing to you just from our description of it, which I'm sure a lot of people will. Then, uh, yeah, I mean, if if you're if you're cool with what we've told you is in it, then, yeah, it's definitely worth watching. But, man, that's a lot to to get over. I feel like if I saw this when I was 14, I would have been all about it. There would have been so much fan art. Well, I would have been like, I'm going to get that dress. I'm going to never wear shoes. Oh, Mooney would have been a Tumblr icon. Yeah. Well, I I did like write a bunch of the shit, like a bunch of quotes from the, the from Dune, like the original Dune from the Baron Harkonnen in my bathroom when I was 14. So, but. Well, speaking of which, uh, Emily, what would you recommend people, what do you have to recommend this week? I may have recommended this before, but I'm going to go in for it again because not enough people know about it. It's a series, it's a mini series from Finland called Kingdom or The Kingdom, and it's about a hospital. It's different from Kingdom Hospital as far as I know, but it has a lot of the same kind of spooky vibes and and like cinematography that this movie does without like the saw gore that we have. But there was something about this movie that reminded me a lot of that one. And so I would check that out. It gets upsetting, but it's not as upsetting in terms of like the sheer amounts of child death. And yeah, I am going to recommend uh, Lemony Snicket's A Series of Unfortunate Events, both the book and Netflix show, because <laughs> like this, it's about orphans and oh, sex shit happening and, to them and secondary connective thread. Maybe some boxcar kids mysteries. I don't know. That's got orphans. Batman. Batman's got orphans all out the wazoo. No, Simba's mom is still alive, so Lion King doesn't count. All right. Oh, Bambi. Wait, no, Bambi's dad comes back in the straight-to-DVD sequel. All right, forget that. Who are some good Disney orphans? Iron Man's another orphan, because Winter Soldier killed his John Slattery in the 90s. Yeah, I mean, I guess he was a teen orphan. I don't know. We don't get any yeah, that's not a good orphan. Up, thankfully. Again, 
you know what? Stick with Angels in the Outfield. It's great. Danny Glover adopts a, like a super cute kid, Joseph Gordon Levitt. Also, also heaven is real, and they use celestial powers to cheat at baseball. That's what they were missing in this one. They just needed those angels. Like if they were like, okay, Murney, let's play baseball. Please bring back the subgenre of supernatural creatures using their talent to help teams cheat at sports. Yeah, yeah. Teen Wolf? Where is my reboot of The Sixth Man, the movie where the star basketball player? Yep. Oh, yeah. Of course so it is. The classic of the genre. Technically, we do have the second Space Jam. I mean, did he? Now, he didn't cheat. They won with their own God given talent and hard work. I mean, the sheer charisma, the supernatural charisma of Jackie Daytona. But what I recommend, I'm actually in the middle of. The second to last season, the last season has just started. If you want something that is in some ways way less violent, but also will elicit the same feelings of panic in you as this movie, Better Call Saul (laughs) is a fantastic show. If you've watched Breaking Bad, it is basically a prequel slash sequel to Breaking Bad, but with less drugs and more legal drama. But like, it's Vince Gilligan and, and his writing staff are so good at characters and so good at at having at building these characters and this the, the character of of Saul Goodman um in in this series is so good and the way in which he just infects other people's lives and ruins them uh despite being a generally well-meaning guy just like Walt in Breaking Bad is sort of incredible it's one of those shows that like it elicits panic in me when watching it and is one of those things that I super admire the writing, but I don't think I could ever write anything like that. It's just, uh, they're so mean to their characters and things go so bad so often. I would just feel bad, but yeah, it's an incredible show and all but the current season are on Netflix now. So I'm, I'm watching the second to last season because it just popped up on Netflix. I do know something else where a bunch of really horrible things happen to children. It was Evangelion. It was just Evangelion. Oh, man. Bad things happen yeah, to kids. Sneak like, it in there. Crazy. Just slide. Just fucking power slide it in to, to and, base with my and, angel. And now I'll that you mentioned Evangelion, we know that the show is over. Uh, you can find all of us online. Emily is at Mouth wow. on Twitter. Mega underscore mouth on Instagram. And megamouth.net. Ben is at Ben McCon. The website of BenCon Comics, where you can pick up all their books, including Immortals Phoenix Rising and the Glad nominated Renegade Rule. And finally, for me, you can find me on Twitter and Instagram at jrum 58 and my website at jeremywhitley.com, where you can check out everything I write. Podcast is on Patreon at Progressively Horrified, our website at progressivelyhorrified.transistor.fm, and Twitter at Prague Horror Pod. Come talk to us. Tell us what you thought of this movie. Tell us why you hate us for making you watch it. Because, man. <laughs> I'm sure we'll, I'm sure somebody will uh, watch this before listening to the podcast and we'll have to hear the trauma this caused them. And speaking of loving to hear from you, we would also love it if you would rate our, rate our podcast and review it wherever you're listening to it so that we can get some new listeners. They can find us wherever they are searching for podcasts. Guys, it's been a ball. This was a real experience, this one. This, this, the movie, watching the movie may not have been fun, but talking about it sure was. Thanks to all of you for listening. We will see you next week. Until then, stay horrified. Progressively Horrified is created by Jeremy Whitley and produced by Alicia Whitley. This episode featured the Horror Squad, Jeremy, Ben, and Emily. 
All opinions expressed by the commentators are solely their own and do not represent the intent or opinion of the filmmakers, nor do they represent the employers, institutions, or publishers of the commentators. Our theme music is Epic Darkness by Mario Cole 06 and was provided royalty-free from Pixabay. If you liked this episode, you can support us on Patreon. You can also get in touch with us on Twitter at ProgHorrorPod or by email at ProgressivelyHorrified at gmail.com. Thanks for listening. Bye.